0: Well, good morning, Crossview. So good to be here. My name is Steve. And um, uh, that beautiful song that Joel wrote and just saying to you, you have, may have missed uh, the radical invitation that was given, that there is, in fact, a new way to live. If you are lost, stuck, in despair, hopelessness, thinking that tomorrow will just be another repeat of today and yesterday. There is this radical, revolutionary, grace-infused invitation from Jesus himself to every single person in this room that would have the courage to wake up and live differently. So I just didn't want you to miss that because of how beautiful his voice is. Amen? Well, it is my great privilege to be here. Every time I get a chance to be down here, I am overwhelmed by your, by your generosity, uh, by the welcoming spirit that you have. Last night, I had a great time with about 80 couples. We talked about marriage, about the dangerous, harrowing grace possibility uh, thing that marriage is, and it was uh, just a, it was a great time. And this morning... Uh, I, get, I get to continue the Wayfinding series. And when Brad invited me a few months ago, there was a little bit of anger, a little bit of rage, some malice in his voice when I asked him what text I was going to be assigned to. He said, well, you get the first New Testament text. Thank you very much. I've been slaving away through the prophets and through the minor and major prophets. And you get Luke chapter 1, so enjoy it. So I just said, well, God gives good gifts to those that God loves. And um, so I get to talk to you a little bit about uh, the beginning of the New Testament, which starts with a story of a pregnant 13-year-old girl who is not married. Boom. I'm not gonna read the whole passage. It's Luke 5 through 56. You can read that later. But a little bit of background on Luke. Luke is one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different people wrote accounts of the life of Jesus because they were so radically affected by it that they wanted to write something down so that other people, including us, might read about the eyewitness accounts of this person named Jesus of Nazareth who lived and changed their life and changed the world. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is writing sometime in the late 60s or early 70s, and that is the original 60s and 70s, uh, not the 1960s and 70s, in case you were wondering. There is a war raging at the time. The Jews have rebelled against the occupying Roman forces until about uh, AD 66. And then, after a long siege, Jerusalem is totally destroyed. And the communities where Jesus had lived and traveled were decimated. The older generation who saw Jesus and were healed by Jesus is starting to die out. And the message of Jesus has been spreading all over. And doubtless, the message has been. Uh, garbled and confused at, as it has spread out. And so Luke is trying to write in his words an orderly account of what happened so that people who are interested in this person named Jesus might read about it for centuries to come. So first, he writes about an old infertile couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth because that's how all good stories have to start. With an impossible situation. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. It's his turn to light the incense. And uh, as he's in the temple lighting the incense candles. Boom. The angel Gabriel shows up like you do. And the angel Gabriel says, "Uh, by the way, your wife is going to become pregnant. So uh, maybe get home a little early today and get that started. And... um, After she gets pregnant, she's going to give, some of you just got that and weren't sure whether or not to laugh or be a little disgusted. Um, Older couple. Um, And so you're going to, your wife's going to give birth to a son and his name is going to be John. He's going to baptize many people, make sure he doesn't drink any alcoholic beverages, any wine. He is going to be the person that's going to pave the way for the Messiah, And he's going to be a prophet in the order of Elijah. And Zechariah's response is beautiful. He basically says, I don't believe you. Which is, I love how that's the New Testament starts, right? Because that's what we say to so many things. I don't believe you, God, that you could possibly do that impossible thing. We have never had kids. We're never going to have kids. But then Zechariah remembers, oh, wait a minute. There was a couple way back in history named Abram and Sarai. They were infertile, too, for a while. Remember that story? Then they had a little boy named Isaac, who means laughter, which I love. And there was many other infertile couples because the story of God is filled with impossible, improbable situations uh, showing the fact that God's purposes in the earth will come true. And so Zechariah, because he doesn't believe, is temporarily struck dumb. He cannot speak for a few months. And we read that and we sort of go, hmm, wow, hmm But I think there's a way in which you can read that and it can be really, really funny. Zachariah doesn't believe, and so I was like, all right, buddy, just for a while, I'm going to take your voice away, because I just, I, I, you need to learn to believe me. <laughs> so your voice, gone. Thank you very much. And then we get to verse 26, and the angel Gabriel is going to show up to another person with another announcement of another birth, and there's going to be a very different response. So let me read it to you. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read it up on the screens. You can close your eyes and just listen, but hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy of John the Baptist God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David Gabriel appeared to her and said greetings favored woman the Lord is with you to which she must have gone what Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus, which means salvation. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. It just keeps getting better and bigger. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And so Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? By the way, I'm 13 years old and I'm a virgin. The 13 year old isn't in there, but that's what most scholars believe. That's about how old she is. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Ha, ha, ha. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son, and now she's in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. So in this story, you see the biggest approaching the smallest and asking her if she will bear the greatest. And it is breathtaking. So what happened was he shows up to this 13-year-old girl who had spent her days traveling to get water, cleaning, cooking as a woman in the first century being one of the rejected ones, being seen as not important at all. She's engaged to a man she probably doesn't know who is much older than her, and an angel shows up in her room and says, Greetings, favored one. Now, catch the bewilderment, the utter astonishment in Mary's eyes, because... Of all the things she could have been called, insignificant, sort of a servant girl, uh, not important at all, to be visited by an angel of God and called the favored one is just about the last thing that she ever expected would happen to her. Kerastao is the word favored one. It means, it's from the Greek word charis, which means Grace. And it basically is saying, greetings, you who have been pursued by God's grace. God is with you. So what does it mean to be an unlikely person that God asks to do a very significant thing? I think even if we sort of know the Bible stories, we know that the Bible is filled with unlikely characters. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. It's filled with people who are imperfect. But when it comes to 2015, we say, well, the only people that are really legitimate to do God's business are people like Brad Jackson and people who are pretty important in the world of spirituality and religion. Uh, Maybe Bob Goff, maybe Ann Voskamp. I mean, those people are doing some really significant things. But when it comes to little me and my world in Mankato or St. Louis Park, I'm not really worth much. So what does it mean to believe that God's favorite thing to do is pick an unlikely candidate to bear the good news of Jesus. So from age zero to about age 14, I was an absolutely brutal stutterer. I could not get one sentence out of my mouth. Without fumbling over it, and every time I would talk to someone, uh, they would get awkward about it. They would get uh, uncomfortable. They would start to lean forward as if doing so could magically make the words put you know go uh, to uh, to be understandable. And that only got me more and more nervous. And so I stuttered more and more, and it was an embarrassing situation every time I locked eyes with any other human being, which is an incredible way to spend your first 14 years of life. Amen? Um, I say amen a lot, and you just got to indulge me, okay? It's just, it's just part of my deal. Well, about age 14 uh, to about 16, it slowly went away. And then at about age 21, um, I, I went to Gustavus. So I, am, I spent about four years, and I was a typical Gustavus student, meaning I took studies quite not seriously, and case day very seriously. Uh, Case day, apparently you don't know what that tradition is, and I'm just going to leave that to your imagination. It involves 24 beers in 24 hours. Um, I excelled in those types of activities. So when I was about 21 years old, the summer before my senior year, God uh, showed me God's grace in a pretty radical and life-changing way. And um, God called me to be a pastor and a speaker and a writer. And so now I spend a lot of my time, the stutterer, speaking in front of people, talking about the goodness of God. And about every time as I'm sitting down there while the, you know, worship is going, I'm just like, no way. Honestly, no way. No way should I have been uh, asked to do this thing. But God... I think, in God's grace, says this, some of my favorite assignments are given to people that can absolutely, would never believe that they could do it on their own, and they can't. And that's the story of Mary, and that's how the Gospel of Luke starts, because it's central to the story of God's redemption, that God would use people to redeem the world and to set in motion the plans of God's redemption that feel like they are utterly unworthy and who are in fact afraid. Anyone ever been afraid? <laughs> Amen. So when God invites you to do something, it is very natural and very normal to not believe that God could possibly use you and to be filled with fear. Mary was, and that's why the angel Gabriel said, don't be afraid, Mary, you've found favor with God. Remember, grace is pursuing you, God is with you. You're gonna become pregnant with salvation. You're gonna give birth salvation in the world, and he will be the greatest, and his reign will never end. And imagine when the angel left, and Mary is just sitting in that room with that news. This really happened to an actual young woman, and her response was this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that is remarkable, isn't it? What does it mean to have an identity not as a father, not as a mother, not as a doctor, not as a pastor, not as a CEO, not as a husband, not as a wife, not as a student, not as a child, but as a servant of God? What if that was the primary way that you identified yourself? I am, first and foremost, a servant of God. I do God's will. I follow God's instructions. I follow God's way in the world, and that's who I am. And this is a 13-year-old girl saying that, teaching us that it all starts with that. I am a servant and I don't know how it's going to happen because (laughs) I'm a virgin and I'm a 13 year old girl and I don't know how God's purposes are ever going to be fulfilled through me but let it be to me according to your word so you know the rest of the story right (laughs) Jesus is born Jesus lives And then there was a day where about 30 years after he was born, where Mary was sitting at the foot of a cross looking up at her son whom she loved and watching him be crucified and die. But that was the way the great gift of God was given to the world, amen? That was the way the great gift of God was was spread to the world because the whole story of God is always about the fact that God is redeeming and restoring all things at all times. But the great mystery in Luke chapter one is that it doesn't end with Mary. The same invitation gets extended to me and to you. Right here, right now, 2015. In Colossians 1, 26 and 27, we read this. The message, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, not just the Jews, for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Here it comes. Christ lives in you. This is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Here's the mystery. So are you. You are pregnant with Jesus. You are pregnant with salvation. You are pregnant with a gift that wants to be given to the world because God so loved the world. That God gave God's Son, who now indwells every believer through the Spirit. So, revolutionary question. For those of you who desire to say yes to that indwelling presence so that you can be a gift to the world, what does that look like? Well, first of all, you need to understand that it is initiated by God. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only son. And typically, I think we have it backwards. We assume that we first need to give something to God, then God will love us. But it is God who so loved the world that God gave. And all we do is in response to that love. Amen? 1 John four nineteen, we loved because God first loved us. Ephesians 1, 6, for I am confident of this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God initiates it. God finishes it. What you do to God's invitation to be a part of the healing of the world is simply respond with a yes, but it requires your yes. So that's a kind of staggering reality if you stop and think about it, that God is one of the most powerful but polite creatures in the universe. And God wants to invite you to be a part of the restoration of all things, but God invites you and God gives you the dignity to say no. And God will respect your no. God will not make you join God's work in the world. But like Mary, God invites you to be a part of the healing and restoration of Mankato. And that, my friends, that mission, that beautiful invitation is yours to say yes to. God will invite you to do something you Do not believe you can do something that is maybe tiny but feels big. Maybe it's big and it feels impossible. And God says to you this, I will initiate something in you. I will invite you to something, but it will require your yes. I remember back in October of 2013, God had been doing something in me for a number of months that I knew was going to involve something um, dangerous and risky. I didn't know what it was, and it came to me on a run that this invitation to plant a church called Genesis. And I was happy in my church that I was at, um, but over the course of time we discerned it as an undeniable call from God to do this thing, to start a community of people. Genesis means beginnings, and so the mission of our church is to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. So that all of us everywhere, that's our target market. All of us. Everywhere. And um, I gave a trembling yes. And I believe with all my being, God would still love me if I said no. God would still move in me if I said no. God would still invite me to new things if I had said no. But now that we're about eight months into it, I cannot imagine Having said no, one of my high school friends has started to come to Genesis. I haven't talked to him for 20 years. This is a guy that we did a lot of really dangerous and foolish and irresponsible things together. And he has been out of church for 20 years and now he's coming to church and he's one of the first people that gave their lives to Christ. Now, that's God's decision. That's God's invitation. But I um, shudder to think, that my no might have gotten in the way of that beautiful yes that happened. So God will give you what you need to say yes, but you (laughs) need to give your yes. Then when you give your yes, it begins to grow and you like Mary. Picture Mary and Elizabeth sitting around this young woman and this older woman both as their bellies uh, begin to extend and as they grow. And they're talking about morning sickness and they're talking about names and they're talking about onesies with dogs that, with, that are flying airplanes and all that stuff. And, 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 there they, and, it's, and salvation is growing within each of them. What does it mean to submit to the gestational process of Christ in you and Christ growing in you. Brad just talked about being disciples, making disciples. That's a process where you allow God's goodness and God's life to grow in you so that at the right time and in the right moments, you can give it away to the world as a gift. There comes a point in time in Mary's story when she's still pregnant with Jesus that she has this sort of epiphany. We call it the Magnificat. I'd like to read it to you. And it goes this way. Mary writes, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And, and I love that. He, she has a tattoo on her arm. His lowly servant Girl, that is her identity, and I I love it. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows me mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones, and he has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her hometown, and Mary knew that she was pregnant with the fulfillment of Israel, the hope of Israel, the, the Israelite that was truly gonna fulfill God's call to bless the nations. Jesus was that person that finally did it, but Mary needed to receive the gift from God to let it grow in her, and then she needed to give birth to it and then give it away. And what I am saying to you this morning is that same process happens with you and with me. So don't be afraid, Steve. Don't be afraid, Brad. Don't be afraid, Peggy. Don't be afraid, Dave. You have found favor with God. Remember, grace is pursuing you. God is with you. God still wants to give good gifts to the world. And God loves letting the smallest join in on bearing the greatest. This is true for all of us, not just the religious professionals. So my challenge, my invitation to you is this. Let this new thing that God has initiated begin in. You and then let it grow in you so that you can one day give a gift to your neighbors, to your family, to your city, and to the world. But the invitation is yours. You get to give a yes or a no. God is waiting and God is bestowing grace upon grace, upon grace to you. You don't think you can do it. You don't think you're qualified. And God just stands there saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So what will you do with that beautiful and dangerous invitation? Let's pray together. God, transform us into people who identify ourselves first as servants of you. Not as anything else, but servants of you who delight in saying yes to you. Who delight in joining in with you on the restoration of all things. God, overcome our fear and set us on a path, the path of your purposes. In your name, amen.